0: So should I preach in here or put this on? Let me see. I don't know if I'm a walk around preacher today. It might be. Who knows? Okay. Let's see. Oh, oh, this thing, huh? Oh, I don't know about that. All right, I'll stick with this. I'll try to stick with this. Well, I want to thank you very much for allowing me to come today. I always love to come to New Village. My wife, my wife and I were here in the mid-1980s when we were going to college. I, I lived in Runcokuma. Uh My wife's from Jamaica, Queens, but she was attending Stonerberg University at the time. And so we have a long history with New Village. I feel like I'm a shareholder. Do you have shareholders here? I have a little stock in this place and love New Village, praying for you all, rooting for you all. We're a small church like yours. We we may even be smaller. We may even be smaller. We do have a, a Brazilian congregation that meets at our church and a Spanish congregation and English. And we've been through many dangers, toils and snares since 1998. But the Lord has preserved us. And of recent, I'm very excited What happens is, since I went to the Master's Seminary, um, a couple of guys, actually three people came to the church, three families came to the church listening to John MacArthur. And when they listen to John MacArthur and they call California, then they recommend our church since I'm a graduate. But the biggest thing about all of that, these guys are zealous. Two young guys in their 30s with wives, one guy with kids. And they're so zealous for learning the Word of God and growing and then another man from Brentwood came recently. They happen to all be Puerto Rican. So Ralph likes that. They happen to all be Puerto Rican. And, but it's wonderful. They're so zealous. And it's just happened in the last year. And that kind of thing can happen at any time for a church. God can bring people. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you. Well, let me see if I'll try this today. I'm going to try to use God's word to encourage you in many ways. By the way, my church, your church, we're not as bad as the Corinthian church. Right? Think about it. it what, am I, what am I supposed to do with this? Microphone will go down to your left side. So my left side, let me, okay, this is my left. So I put this over my ears? Behind, no ears. Ah, okay. Let's see. Let's try that. All right. It's working? Is button green on top. The button's green. So good. All right, let me put down my bell. All right, yeah, I feel a little more free. All right. Um, I love this church. I love this church. I, um, in the days of Gary Finn when I was here, actually when I first came, I think I told you that Bradford Hess encouraged me. I came from a Catholic background. And I didn't know what New Village Church was or any other church besides Catholic. And I remember Bradford Hess spending time with me to help me understand a few more things. And then, and then I was here for many years, uh, with uh, probably about three or four years, I should say, uh, under Pastor Gary Finn, and grew immensely there. How many of you remember his big smile? I was just saying to Keith Swan, that big smile that he would have as he'd greet people who came in, and so many stories I could tell you. But he did rebuke me one time, and it was really good because I was speaking about Catholics in a careless way at a service, and Pastor Gary Finn took me in his office, put his arm around me and his husky self just about picked me up and, and, he, and he, he loved me and, and, and helped me to, uh, to become a better man of God. And then years later when I took on the church in 1998, I remember when Pastor Mark Musser and Pastor Steve Willoughby said that I can join their little prayer accountability group. One of the best things I ever did. Because you think, well, you think you've been through challenges. Our church was very challenging at the beginning. Can you imagine at the beginning, our main deacon who wanted us in the church, right? The secretary one day came to me and said that so-and-so says he's against interracial relationships. And this is the guy that brought us into the church. And we're a mixed couple. I'm like, what in the world? That's how my time at uh, Carrie Baptist in Medford started. And this man was the head of the nominating committee. He was the head of the music committee. He was the head deacon. He was the music leader and the treasurer. Now That's kind of bad right there, right? You ever read about diatrophies in the Old Testament? <laughs> it's incredible. But hey, I'm still standing. He's not at the church anymore, by the way. And uh, oh, I could tell you stories, but the Lord is good. And he's able to build his church, though the gates of Hades with what? Try to prevail against it, Amen. And, brothers and sisters, this is an exciting time period. A lot of people need to hear the gospel out there, and I'm going to get to that. And every one of you that knows Jesus is an ambassador for him. This is my message before the message. You are all, there's enough Bible knowledge. I remember being in this church and going to Chuck Johnson's classes, and there were so many good Bible teachers here and still are. And, by the way, elders and pastors, the last time I checked, I wish I had some elders you got elders at this church. you got pastors. Now, do you have a, a head teaching pastor at this point or whatever? Well, that's something the church will figure out. But you're blessed. This is a blessed church with a rich history. And the Lord can use each one of you to be an ambassador. There are Catholics out there that need the gospel. There are Jewish people out there that need the gospel. There's Black Lives Matter people that need the gospel. There's police officers that need the gospel. Well, I'm going to I'm tell you about some stories here. Anyway, let's turn to James chapter 2 and read a scripture. We'll pray and we'll get started. James chapter 2. And I forgot my old man glasses. Actually, I couldn't find them. That's, that's how you know you're getting old. You can't find your old man glasses, so I take these off. And... Anyway, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all, and I'll stop there. Let's go to prayer again. I want you to take a moment. Moments of silence are good where you can give a burden to the Lord. You can thank Him for how He's blessed you this week. Just take a moment yourself. Take a moment yourself to do that. Maybe, maybe even a sin you want to confess. It's easy to get mad at people these days. I'm sure we've all been mad at Someone. Lord, I give you praise for this day and I pray for your blessing upon the people of New Village Church. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here. We thank you, Lord, that your gospel has been preached from this church for a long, long time. And Lord, I know that you're more than able to allow that to continue until Jesus comes. And so I give you praise for that even for our own church, Calvary Baptist of Medford. Lord, I pray that you would keep us going. Thank you for what you've done through the years, Lord, in preserving our churches. I pray we might continue to work together, Lord. Mutual conferences, perhaps evangelistic endeavors. Lord, please, may more of our churches that are like-minded work together for your glory. And so I thank you for these moments. And I ask that you'd help me now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with some historical lessons and uh, then take you into the scriptures. In 1957, a young lady by the name of Melba Patillo turned 16. How many of you heard that name? Just raise your hand. Anybody heard that name? How many heard the name Ruby Bridges? That might be a more familiar name. But Melba Patillo. It's like a Ruby Bridges. Anyway, she was involved in an important piece of American history. In 1954, there was that classic court case, Brown versus the Board of Education. And in that particular court case, racial segregation of children in public schools was ruled unconstitutional. And what happened was there were schools in Little Rock, Arkansas that were going to start to desegregate. And you may have heard of the little, the, the little Rock Nine. Nine young people, nine young black students, were chosen to be the ones to desegregate that school. It was based on some tests that they took and other things. And what happened was Governor Orville Faubus, when this was going to take place, these nine young people were going to go into the Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, Governor Orville Forbes called the National Guard to prevent them from coming in. He was going to prevent this from taking place, even though it was an order from the government. So what happened was that one of those first days, one of the girls didn't hear. They didn't have a phone in their home or something like that, and she showed up alone. And the people there were screaming at her. And there was yelling, screaming. If you look at some of the pictures, it's almost scary. Some of the people look like they have demons in them. They did not want that school to be desegregated, the people of that neighborhood. So what happened was a federal judge by the name of Ronald Davies, he took action against Gov- Governor Faubus. And he, he removed the National Guard and brought the police in. But that became a fiasco as well because a thousand people came a thousand of the white people of the town came and were trying to prevent the police from bringing in those nine kids. They did not want nine black children to be in that school at all. Period. So Governor Dwight uh, Governor President Dwight D Eisenhower stepped in and you know what he did? He sent in the 101st Airborne and so now the military had to get involved to get the kids into school. Just nine kids. Just nine kids. And what happened was this. The, the military had to cross picket lines and bring, bring these kids in. People were chanting, 2, 4, 6, eight. we don't want to integrate. And as you would imagine, so many racial slurs were being called out to those who were coming in. We don't want these Negroes in our school. We don't want them. They should go back to where you came from. And there was routine harassment and violence for a whole year. There were death threats against this family, these families, death threats. Melba and her mother had a run one time. They had a run because people were four men were chasing them, Four grown men are chasing them, a little girl and her mother. And they had to run to a car, their car. And jump in the car and pull away before getting killed. That's how bad it got. Terrible time in history, terrible time. Um, Melba herself was kicked, beaten and had acid thrown in her eyes. Now she thanked God for the officer that was uh, the Ar- army officer that was uh, assigned to her, and what he did was protected her life, but he couldn't touch any of the white kids. So the kids in the school now knew that they could operate and they could beat and kick these kids and punch them, and Melba almost lost her, her eyesight. Fortunately, she went to a doctor and her eyesight was restored. They, bl- they burned a black American effigy. And there was talk of hanging these kids. One time they had to be escorted out of school because they wanted to hang one of them. And so uh, some of the teachers got together and escorted them out an exit and they, they got away. Um, one of the girls was pushed down a flight of stairs. But you know what? Melba's grandmother and mother taught them, taught her that she should operate by biblical principles. She turned the other cheek. And by a lot of prayer and perseverance, they hung in there. All of them went on to do great things, by the way, after that. They became, oh, I mean, they they got all kinds of awards, and it was interesting. Um, I say that to say this. I'm sure that there were some of the people of that town who claimed to be Christians. Can you imagine Christians doing this? They claimed to be Christians. It saddens me to think this is even in the history books. But think of it this way. Even somebody as great as the Apostle Peter needed to be corrected. What did he do when he was with the Gentile people eating? And when Jews came into town, what did Peter do? He stood aloof from the Gentiles, right? He went away from them. He didn't want the Jews to see him with the Gentiles. And the great apostle Peter had to rebuke him, you re- Rebuke him. remember that? Galatians 1.14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, the gospel is at stake with these kind of things, amen? I said to Cephas before them all, I'm sorry, this is Paul confronting Peter, getting mixed up. I said to Cephas, Peter had the problem. I said to Cephas before them all, who's Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So I say, submit to you, even the great apostle Peter had a learning curve. And by the way, we all have prejudices. It may be against poor people, which the actually the verses I'm going to uh, go through with you today are uh, really an economic discrimination. Sometimes in our churches we don't want poor people. We don't want poor people. I remember when the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle said a guy came in that smelled so bad that he couldn't even breathe hardly. But after the guy came to know the Lord, the smell wasn't so bad. What I like about John Piper, John Piper does not back down against controversial issues, does he? He wrote a wonderful book called Bloodlines on this topic. Excellent book. Um, by the way, when we think of discrimination, we usually wanna, we don't want to talk about that topic too much. Abortion, easy one, right? A lot of other ones are pretty easy. Uh, as far as all the sex trafficking, easy one for Christians to confront. But discrimination and prejudice, a harder one. But John Piper never backed down. He grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and in his book, Bloodlines, he says this, that in his town, uh, segregation was endorsed and promoted. Separate drinking fountains, separate restrooms, separate schools, and worst of all, separate what? What am I going to say? Separate what? Churches. Separate churches. Where people weren't welcome in each other's churches. In 1963, John Piper's church that he grew up in as a kid voted to not allow blacks. Their reason? Well, if they want to come to our church, it's probably for political reasons, so we don't want them to come. You know who's the only one who stood against that and voted against it? John Piper's mother. John Piper's mother. They had a maid. She was a black maid. And she would come on the weekends to John Piper's house. And when John Piper's sister was getting married, right? So let's say it was here. If it was here, you have the people of the church, and one of the church leaders would be in the, what we used to call it the narthex. Is that still called the narthex? That's a weird word, but anyway. That room before the room here. And what happened was, when the black maid and her family came in, one of the men of the church was going to send her to the balcony. And you know what they called that in in the old days, the end balcony. But John Piper's mother escorted her in against the people of the church. And didn't let her be reserved back to some back. Isn't that interesting? John Piper's church. So, and by the way, John Piper says in his book that three and a half miles across town, there was a, another young man who grew up. His name, was Je- his name is Jesse Jackson. What's interesting is that his mother, Helen, and John Piper's mother listened to Bob Jones University broadcast, which had good Bible teaching for the most part. But guess what? Jesse Jackson's family and that and school, blacks were not allowed to attend. And in John Piper's church, which was four miles away, Jesse Jackson's family couldn't go. So I want you to think about that. So, we say this to say this. These kind of things are a violation of the gospel. Even if we hold against the Chinese, be careful. I've been purposely going to Chinese restaurants because we can almost hold against the Chinese for the virus. But the Chinese government's more responsible than anybody. It's not the the, the Chinese restaurant owner in my town, in your town. They need the gospel. So what am I trying to say to you? And you'll see. Brothers and sisters, if this is a time for us to bring the gospel to all kinds of people. Last time I checked, Jesus said, make disciples of. Thank you. New Village Church is set in a beautiful area. Stony Brook University is not so far away. Do you realize what kind of harvest field that is? And they come from China and other places? You got the mall. There were churches that purposely trained their people for witnessing by taking them to the mall to talk to people. Now I don't know how much of it is open right now. This is a great neighborhood for the gospel. Anyway, let's go to James chapter two. I'm going to talk about the sin of partiality. And here it's going to happen to be an economic partiality. And by the way, all of our churches are small enough. We should be glad that more people come, whoever they are. Amen? I don't care if they're dirty and they have dirty clothes. I don't care if they have pink hair and a thousand earrings and nose rings. And do those people need the gospel? I I say the same things to my own church. Because we tend to have a bias sometimes, all of us, right? Why are these illegals here? Well, bring the gospel to the illegals if you're worried about them. And then who knows, they might get saved and strengthened and go back and preach the gospel in their country. That's the way I think. Anyway, James chapter 2. Let's let the Word of God hit us now. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Other translations might say partiality, right? Brothers and sisters, listen. Your faith and my faith in Christ. It's a high calling. Doesn't Ephesians say we ought to work worthy walk worthy of our calling? If you have a Jesus t shirt, we gotta live it. Or a bumper sticker on your car. That might change some of the way some of us drive, right? Bruns says this is a high calling. And we can't hold our faith in Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism, partiality, discriminating against people. It's not just race, all kinds of things. The word there literally is the receiving of the face. When somebody comes into the church, I try as a pastor, and I've learned over the years that I want to show people I'm glad they're there, whoever they are. I had a guy come into our church for a time who wanted to be a woman. That was strange. I ended up doing his funeral. The family wanted me to do his funeral. He came for counseling. But I tell you what, when someone like that comes, we're glad they could. they've come, right? I'm Italian, so it shouldn't only be when an Italian person comes, hey, paisan, I, I'm so glad you're here. And then somebody who's not, oh, you're Polish. Oh, okay, well, you can sit over there. Nothing against Poles. You know what I'm trying to say. Look at the Bible, though. The Lord brings up a hypothetical scene here. Look at verse 2. But it was uh, probably did occur in that time. Watch. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. Do you get the picture? Back then you showed your, well, kind of like now, you showed your status in society by what you wore, especially your rings, your clothes. Clothes were a premium back then. So this guy comes in. His clothes are probably shining. They're probably glittering. He's got rings like Liberace. I don't know if some of you are old like me to know who Liberace was with all the rings. Saks Fifth Avenue, right? Suit by Armani. And then another guy comes in. Big contrast. He's dirty. He's smelly. You know what happened for us recently is that There's a guy that lived in his car for years. And he was attending our church sometimes. And most recently, he kind of circled back. Pastor, can can I park my car? And he had all the junk in his car. Can I park my car here? And we decided yes. You know, his mother, who was saved at our church years before I was there, she was begging us that if if Jimmy could stay there. He seemed to me, brothers and sisters, like he was on his last limbs. But you know what? We had an outdoor service. He was able to come to two of them while we came. He was in his car. And we we're able to continue to share the gospel with him. I'm not sure if he knew the Lord. He since has passed. I did his funeral recently. Here's my point. Very easily, I had some guys in my church that could say, hey, we don't want his car in this parking lot. But brothers and sisters, I knew it was at last days. His mother attended our church in the past. Our church is the only church he knew. The only gospel he's going to receive is maybe from us. I get there one morning. Fortunately, one of my sons wanted to help me put out the chairs for the outdoor service early enough. And Jimmy was in his car with his mouth open and unresponsive. And I had the privilege of calling the authorities for him to get to the hospital. So I think we, at least he didn't die in the car, but he did die in the hospital. But we preached the gospel to him all these years. And even even recently to make sure he knew it. And then his mother asked me to do his you know what the point is. He's coming to our church. He came to our church. There were times when people left our church saying, oh, Calvary Baptist Church lets all the bums in the church. I don't let bums in the church. We just love the bums. Poor people, I want to call them bums. Sometimes how we view people, we need to view them like Jesus would, right? Jesus was the friend of sinners and tax collectors. Anyway, let me continue. So, in this scenario with the rich man and the poor man, the question is, how are these guys going to be treated by the assembly? They use the word for synagogue there. How are they going to be treated by the assembly of the people of God? Verse 3. Now watch. Watch the rebuke. And you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there, Sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? You mean this is evil? So what's this in? Play up to the rich guy. Hey, deacons, this guy could—it might be a big giver someday. Give him, the, give him the royal treatment. It's like going to Yankee Stadium. You clean the seat for the guy up front. You get the best seat. Now, dirty guy? I mean, we don't have much room for you. Back then, they would have seating just in certain places in the front and on the sides. So, you know, maybe the best seats were given to certain people and the rest of the people. And so for this poor man in this scenario, it's like you sit on the ground or something. Sit by my footstool. What kind of discrimination is this, by the way? I think it's like an economic one, right? Rich versus poor. And by the way, James is going to go on to say it's the, it's the rich people that mistreat you. They're the ones that bring you to court. And you're treating them like royalty and they're the ones who mistreat you anyway because the guy's rich. Now don't get me wrong. This is easy for us to do. I've had this contrast in our own church. There's people and there have been people who've had a lot of cash. I'll be honest with you. And it's easy when they give you a call to the pastor. Hey, how you doing? And then there's been other guys who lived in tents near our church. And they call us like, oh, it's so-and-so again. Now, I, I grew. I had to grow in that. Even though I thought I was pretty good in these things, I had to grow. I ask you today as I'm preaching this morning, in what ways do you need to grow when you see people? And even the unbelievers... Everybody needs the gospel. Last time I checked, we're to preach the gospel into the whole world. For God so loved the world, right? And you can do it. I want to encourage you. You can do it. Every single person here who knows the gospel. Actually, you know what I've been doing? I've just been saying to people, how are you doing with all the coronavirus and everything that's going on? And I can get into a conversation with anybody. I'll give you some illustrations of that later. In fact, now I'll give you one now. I went to the protest in Shirley to meet the young people. You know what I did? I was armed with Bibles and Jesus films, which I have a bunch in the car. I don't know if you guys got a hold of the Jesus films that were given out, but I've got thousands of them at the church, and it's the easiest thing to give out. So I go to the protest. I start talking with the young people. Oh, you're a pastor? I met one autistic kid. He didn't tell me. I didn't know he was autistic. He was a white kid. And I said, what brings you here? And he, you know what he tells me? He says, I'm um, I'm autistic and I see how I, I've been mistreated through the years, and I see how other people have been mistreated. He was no big Black Lives Matter man. He was just a man that was concerned about people who been mistreated. And you know what? I was able to give him the gospel. He took a Bible. We had a long talk about the Catholic Church and what the Bible says. And Then I went to two other young ladies. They were two young ladies from the Indian Reservation. And I said, oh, how are you doing? I got to know them. And I said, what brings you out? Oh, our sister went to... Um, some school, I think it was the Eastport School, and she faced such prejudice and people were, were mean to her all her years in high school. You know, brothers and sisters, I went away from that site almost, in, I was crying. You say, why? I just saw a harvest field. People who are out there, and I talked to the police officer, I witnessed to him. I was no respecter of person, I'm a person, I want to witness to everybody there. And then I got an idea that you know, I don't know if you knew, but the Gideons, you could order their Bibles. They'll they, they, You can't have the Gideon logo if you're not a Gideon. But if you become an associate member, which I did, you can order their Bibles. And then you can hand them out. That would be one of the best things to do is to hand out Bibles at the protest. You don't have to do anything. Just, hey, I, the, the greatest book on justice and peace. Here's a copy. Anyway, I just want you to know how serious... I, I take these things because I know for our small churches, <laughs> we need to evangelize. It's one thing we need to do, but we should do it anyway. Not just because we're small churches; it doesn't matter. But in my church, your church, there's plenty of seats. My wife and I were married in 19. I better get, I better get this right. 1987, and the church in Flushing, Queens, looked like the United Nations: Chinese congregation, Spanish congregation, Indian fellowship. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, Anyway, so here's the scenario. Now, John MacArthur says this. These are the words, these are not my words. This is John MacArthur, who I respect highly. I was reading his commentary on James. Here's what he said. Tragically, many otherwise biblical and faithful churches today do not treat all their members the same. Frequently, those who are of a different ethnic background, race, or financial standing are not fully welcomed into the fellowship. That ought not be. It, is, it not only is a transgression of God's divine law, but is a mockery of His divine character. Wow. John MacArthur said that. It's easy for us to judge people based on appearance, but the Lord doesn't want us to do that. Do you remember in the Old Testament when the Lord um, rejected Saul as king and then Samuel was going to pick another king, right? And so... One of David's brothers, probably his tallest, handsome, oldest brother, comes in. And uh, Eliab, his name is Eliab, he must be the man. But what did God say to Samuel when Samuel was becoming enamored with the looks of this guy? Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at Thank you. Looks at the heart. Another sad day in history. Black men went to war. World War II, I think it was. And you know what happened when they came back? They were mistreated when they came back. Some men even fought in the Civil War and were re-enslaved after they got out of the Civil War fighting for freedom. Revolutionary War. I think that's the one I mentioned. I, there's so many that it was, I'm sorry, that was the Revolutionary War. So, owners are telling the slaves that, you know what, you fight, you come back, you're going to get your freedom. They came back, a lot of them didn't get their freedom. What did Jesus say? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Didn't the Jewish leaders judge Jesus unfairly? He was a regular looking Jewish man, probably nothing special to look at, right? And he was, he's doing miracles, and they're going to tell him he's doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub? They're discriminating against Jesus. Imagine that. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. I like what Martin Luther King Jr. said. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. You say, why do I think about this issue? Because the Bible talks about it. But also... It kind of hit home. My daughter was going to a, a job on the East End. And she talked to somebody on the phone. My daughter's name is Naomi Pandolfi. Sounds like a nice Italian name, right? And guess what? She goes to the East End for a job. And she walks in there and they, and they say to my daughter, oh, you should have told us you're black. You should have told us you're black. My daughter. Um, you know, she didn't, she didn't make that big deal of it, but... I wish I was out in the car and I could have went back in. I wouldn't have been mean to the people, but I would have went in. In fact, I was driving with my brother one time, um, uh, and uh, actually um, we, we had a job where we were uh, moving cars from one dealership to another, and I was in the back seat, and the fellow the fella driving us started talking bad about blacks. He didn't know I was married to my dear wife, Sheila. So he's talking bad, talking bad, talking bad, and my brother's turning colors. And I'm, I said, my brother, don't worry. My brother, Matt, my own brother, I was like, I got it. I've handled these things for years. And so I said to the guy, and I said very calmly, I said, oh, by the way, my wife is black. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, it's okay, but you know what? I have something more important to tell you. We've all sinned against God. And my, my friend, prejudice is a sin, but so is other things. I've sinned in other ways. But I've got some good news for you. Jesus died. <laughs> so that yeah, I just turned it into the gospel. Amen. Can I hear, is there any men's in New Village? Or, oh, it's not that type of church. All right. Let's go to verse 5. Now, back to the poor man and rich man scenario. L- listen to this reasoning, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But look at the next verse. But you have what? Dishonored the poor man? And then he goes on to say this. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into the court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? Wow. They're playing up to the rich. They're kissing up to the rich. And the rich guys are the ones who are abusing them. Dragging them into court. By the way, in the preaching ministry of Jesus, Did he talk about going to the poor? Well, remember in the book of Luke when he's reading from the Scripture, from the scroll, and he happens to pick in a synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty liberty those who are oppressed. Brothers and sisters, God tends to choose the poor of this world to be saved. In 1 Corinthians, the great apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says there's not many wise, not many powerful, not many noble. God chose what is weak to shame the wise. Right? Can rich guys get saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's easier for a camel to go into the eye of a needle than what? Rich man entered the kingdom of heaven. But every, everything's possible with God, amen? Everybody can get saved. That's why everybody deserves to hear the gospel. Everybody. You know what? We learned something from Mr. Rogers. Did you know that Mr. Rogers, back in the days of segregation, you know what he did? He purposely brought a black postman into his, um, on his show, and he washed his feet. Presbyterian minister, Mr. Rogers. Who are the people in your neighborhood, right? And I ask you that question. Who are the people in your neighborhood? I need to get to know my neighbors more. In fact, I'm trying to fix up my house so I can invite more neighbors over. I'll tell you another story later. Oh, there's so many good stories. but I'm convinced that every single one of you could bring the gospel to the neighbors on your block. Whoever they are. Whoever they are. Speaking of neighbors. Verse 8. If however you're fulfilling the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Now stop there and think about that. What does this world need right now? I think it needs Christians with Christ-like love. There's so much chaos going on, right? People are fighting and arguing. In fact, we went out to uh, have some Raymond noodles up in Setauket. And if you go to the the Raymond Noodles restaurant up in Setauket there. Maybe you haven't on North Country Road. Great little meal. Uh, talked to the Chinese fella there, and I had some um, gospel material for him. He was straight, straight from China, and he was reading it. And he happened to live with a Christian family or something. Anyway, that's a whole another story. Um, love your neighbor yourself. You know what happened on the way back? Uh, I, I looked, and I saw people protesting on different sides of the street. So I stopped the car, and I had Jesus films with me, and I was like, "All right." I told Sheila, "You know, relax. I'm going to go and talk talk to people on both sides of the street." So I go to one side. There's a young lady. I don't know if she was Asian or Hispanic, and there was another young lady there. And I'm talking to her, and and I'm saying, "I'm a a pastor," and you know, and and she says, "Oh, that's good." And she says, "You know, um, I'm not a radical person. I just want to see some more justice and things like that." I said, "Well, that's good." And I said, "Well," You know, Jesus died for us, rose again, whatever I told her. Gave them Jesus films, invitations to the church. Went across the street, and there was a veteran there holding a flag and standing there, you know, stoically. And they're on opposite sides of the street. So I went up to him, and I said, I'm you know, a pastor of a church. He said, oh, I'm a Christian. And I go to so-and-so church. It was a weird name of a church. You know, some of those churches are Restoration Church or blah, 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 something like that. But anyway, but he goes to a church. And I talked to him and gave him a Jesus film. And it's sad to me because he's saying, well, those young people, they go to college and the college. and He made assumptions about them that probably weren't true. And if they would spend some time with each other, they might get to know each other a little bit. And if everybody's claiming to be Christian, interesting, right? Opposite sides of the street and like at each other. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm Christian mingle kind of guy. Mingle, you know, get the gospel out. Didn't the great apostle Paul say to be everything to every man? Sometimes you've got to, listen, brothers and sisters, please, can I give you advice? Someone with would experience? Weep with those who weep. I don't care who you're with. If you're with a police officer, and I've talked to the police officers in my area because we, we were having a rally on our church lawn, and I talked to them and talked to them about that, but whatever. And I talked to them about Jimmy who's about to die in his car to try to get him to the hospital sooner, and you can't get a guy to the hospital unless he looks like he's dying. But my point is this: get the gospel out, right? Get the gospel out. I want to love. I want to love my neighbors, whoever they are. Next to us is a, a new house is going up. Now I don't know who's going to go in that house. What if it's a gay or lesbian couple? What do I do? And I'll be honest with you: I, it's hard for me to see two men together. It really is. That's one of. I'm a pretty versatile guy. That's one of the things that's like, ugh. But you know what? I'm just being honest. But the Lord has strengthened me in that area. I visited one of our guys on his job one day, and there were two lesbians there. And I said, doggone it, I'm going to get to know them. And I talked to them. One of them was a school teacher. I used to be a school teacher in the Bronx. And I'm learning to just get to know and, and show the love of Christ to people, no matter who they are. You know, it's a beautiful story. Look it up. Rosaria Butterfield. How many of you heard of her name? Anybody? Beautiful story. Listen to this one. So she's a professor at Syracuse University for Queer Theory. She is an LGB, I don't know if I got the letters right. LGBTG rights person to the Hilt and in a lesbian relationship. And she was gonna write a book on she was gonna write a book on the religious right. But you know what happened? A pastor a pastor invited her to his house, the pastor and his wife. And she was pleasantly surprised at loving hospitality. They loved this lady. And she came over again and again and again. And guess what happened? She got saved. She got married to a man. And now she opens up her house to the whole neighborhood the same way this couple taught her to open up a house. Brothers and sisters, you've got the gospel. Open up your house. Open up your house to unbelievers, your neighbors across the street. i got to do it more myself. I, I should be preaching to myself. I should be on this side of the pulpit. I haven't done it enough. Do our neighbors even know us? Rosaria Butterfield and her husband have like a block, almost like a block party at her house. Write the neighborhood over. Show them how a Christian couple loves people. Christian family loves people. It's all about love. Verse 8. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law, according to Scripture, you should love your neighbor yourself, you're doing well. The Bible says this is the right thing to do. How many times did Jesus talk about love? Love one another as I have loved you. Do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. There should be so much love in this room. In my church in, in Medford, so much love among us that when the unbelievers come, they say, God is among you. By way of contrast, verse 9. But if you show partiality, and by the way, before I say that, didn't Jesus say all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another? How is this world of sin going to know that we are the ones who have the truth that can set them free? It's by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, right? Verse 9. But if you show partiality, and in this case it was the partiality to the rich guy over the poor, but if you show partiality, you're committing what? Sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, I didn't realize how big of a sin partiality really is till I studied this text, to be honest. It's a bigger sin than I thought. It's like, wow. And then I have to think about my own partialities. And all of us do, you know. What do I have? Are there certain people I have things against? Certain type of person. Now what do we make of all this? Put it to you this way. Let's really warmly receive people that come to our churches. Especially our churches, we're small. But more than that, because it's right. When somebody new comes... I don't care if they have one eye in the middle of their head and a wooden leg. Embrace them. In fact, since my part-time job was fitness for people with disabilities, after that we started a ministry to people with disabilities at the church. And praise God, some of the older men in our church made a bathroom that was big enough for handicap access. And before the pandemic, we had a little ministry to people with disabilities going on. How about this one? By the way, before I say that, and that that helped me too to have that job, to meet people with autism, meet people with cerebral palsy, meet people with mental retardation, and their families, and what their families go through, some of them, opened my heart up. God created all men and women equal, right? Everybody came from Adam and Eve. we got the same parents. Everybody's been created with honor and dignity. And so anybody who comes through the doors of that church that wants to hear the gospel at our churches should be welcomed with open arms. Amen? Let's make them really welcome. Sometimes we've got to open our heart a little bit more and maybe even have them over for dinner. It's very easy to say, all right, I'll just pick on Spanish people. I like Spanish. Let's say I'm a white guy, right? And I like Spanish people. And yet what I mean is I talk with Spanish people at my job about the Yankees. But do I have Spanish people over my house and mi casa and tu casa? That's how you know you're friends with somebody. They come over for dinner. That's real friendship. Amen. And by the way, New Village welcomed us in our college days. I felt and my wife felt very welcome here. Yes. She says yes. All right. So she said yes, it's all right. No, but really, John Eglin, who many of you remember, would drive to the car. I've told you these stories before. She said, don't tell too many stories you already told them. But anyway, I'll tell you that one again. John Eglin in his big station wagon would go to the university and pick up those students, and he loved them, whoever they were, and brought them to New Village Church, New Village Congregational Church in Lake Grove. We were welcome here. Then the new village had a special day where all the college students and maybe others went over people's homes. And we went to Alberta Redden. Who's home? Alberta Redden? Great. You you went to a different one than me? What are you doing separating from me like that? Anyway. Oh, oh, I say Billy Graham. Ben Graham, what a welcoming guy. He taught me some of my evangelism. He said, Chris, go with me to evangelize. What a good personal way he had with people. Very endearing to people. Ben Graham. Anyway. Pastor Gary Finn, very welcoming. Mark Musser got to know my wife and I. Whew. New village, you've got a rich history. Um, you've got so many great restaurants around here. You can get to know the people in the restaurants, especially of different ethnic groups. Find some gospel literature in their language. It's the easiest thing. Here's a gift for you. Give him a good tip too when you do that. I'm I'm a little bit of a cheap tipper. My wife's maybe better on that. I don't know why am I so cheap with tipping. I'm not sure, but anyway. Listen. I don't care if a young person comes to the door of New Village with pink hair, pink hair, earrings, black clothes. They smell like marijuana. It's just the way it is these days. Somebody using marijuana. They're going to come to your church smelling like marijuana. What are you going to do? Kick them out? Or give them the gospel. When I see the protesters, rioters, and others, you know what I see—a harvest field. Some of these young people that are so zealous, even a rioter, somebody who knocks down a statue. Imagine if they get saved, how zealous they might be for Jesus. You know, how many know that God is able to turn somebody around like that? Son of Sam got saved in prison. Son of Sam got saved in prison. New name, Son of, son of Hope. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Couple ideas. Let me give you some practical ideas. And by the way, I, just to, before I do that, weep with those who weep. If you're with a person of a different background or something, then you listen, can you listen to their story? I'm finding people that just want to almost win political arguments more than preach the gospel. Pastors are telling me that people in their own churches are having Facebook wars. Arguing over every jot and tittle of the situations that are going on. Instead of getting into this book. What does this book say about everything? That's what I care about. What does this book say? By the way, couple of ideas in your neighborhood all you have to do take walks it's healthy to walk we all need it you need a little sunshine some of you look depressed it'll it'll bring your spirits up get that sunshine right if you walk around your neighborhood you get to meet people you ask them how they're doing with all that's going on and let them talk you'll you'll get their perspective and it doesn't matter it doesn't even matter they're political or whatever because your job is to bring them the gospel, right? They may be different politically than you. doesn't matter. You might say, well, and my church is like yours. We don't have a lot of programs going on and things like that, but brothers and sisters, they need the gospel. There's Muslim people out there. They don't even know who Jesus is. And I believe the Lord can use each one of you. And I have people in my church, oh, I wish there were more people coming. And I'm like, I'm out here witnessing all the time. Come with me. We started to go to the nursing home next door. I didn't even ask the nursing home. You know what I did? We had a sign that says, we are, um, what, what does it say? You are our heroes, right? And And a table with Poland Springs bottles of water, Bibles, Jesus films and tracts and a card from the church. And they love us there now from two thirty to three thirty is the time they transition in and out, in and out, in and out. And we're getting to know them by name. They're taking pictures with us. We're getting a chance to witness. We're meeting some Christians. That nursing home is right next door to church. I was like, we got to do something. You know. This man, we have our masks on or whatever, whatever you got to do. You can witness from 10 feet away, whatever, you know. We have, some people are different than others, some are coming up close. Get a hold of Bibles or Gospels of John that are easy to hand out. And so, some Sunday when you come in, each family takes five and gives them out to people in their neighborhood. I've got it with all that's going on here's the greatest book of love and peace and justice and whatever, right? Whatever the person needs. Black Lives Matter? Oh, here's the greatest book of justice. Oh, you're worried about... Your, oh, here's the greatest book against anxiety. But also, most importantly, you can have all your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. Oh, here's the other thing. So... I'll tell you this. In churches, there's always a fight for unity. I heard some men mention unity at the beginning. Let's always pray for that. Pray for my church or pray for yours. Unity is important. And I find, I have men, I've had men in the, in the time of my church that were splitting hairs over little stuff. It's not the time to do that. Can I, can I tell you that? It's not the time to split hairs over little stuff, please. Because, why do I say that? Because in my own church, I'll take my church. We've had arguments over, over music, arguments over altar calls, arguments over eschatology, end times things, arguments over whether we should let another church in the building that's not exactly like ours. I lost a few people. A man, I, I don't want to see how God leads. A man um, put a card in my mailbox. Pastor Ed Vera is his name. He put a card in my mailbox. And it basically said, we're looking for a church building. So I'm like, all right. So I got to know him. Puerto Rican pastor. All right. Ralph, right? And so I get to know this man. I say, who's your favorite preachers? Oh, John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. So, wow caught my attention. What's your, what's your denomination? Assembly of God. Okay. But we don't, we're not a typical. Okay. We believe in somebody the gives and this and that, but not. All right. So, and I find out this guy... Is an excellent expositor. He can preach in English. He preaches better English than me. He has better English than I do, and great Spanish. So gifted, and now the big decision was: Do we let him use our building? Now we've been praying to reach Spanish people for years. We had a Spanish congregation, but they left. We had a Korean congregation, but they left. We have we had a have a Brazilian congregation that's been there for a long time and still are, and now we have a Spanish pastor that likes John MacArthur is different than me on some points, but holds the gospel strong and is always studying, willing to learn from each other and pray and study together. So what do we do? Brothers and sisters, for the greater good of the gospel, I pressed the issue. And I'm so glad I did. The gospel is going forth in Spanish now from our church. Now the pastor now it's been a strain. He works a full-time job. It's been a strain on his wife. They may have to find another pastor. And guess what? They may be open to even more of a Baptistic pastor. And some of us, we've been preaching. We, we can preach in their church through translation. I wanted to see what God was going to do. Brothers and sisters, please pray, for hard, pray hard for what God wants to do at New Village. It may be something different than you expect or different than what we're used to. Be careful. We can get so You know what I'm saying? And I'm a John MacArthur guy. I can be very hard-headed on doctrine. Trust me. On the other hand, for the greater progress of the gospel, how am I going to operate? The Bible says be diligent to preserve the unity People are going to know you're Christ's disciples. Continue to love one another. Get together. Some of the new guys in my church are inviting us for the Bible study we've been having on Wednesday at their home in Brentwood. I'm there. Social distancing, he's got a big backyard, whatever. We've been having an outdoor service and people have been enjoying it and they're staying later talking after the service. Brothers and sisters in New Village, fellowship with one another, spend time, don't isolate. If you got to speak from 50 feet away, do it. Use a microphone. I'm only kidding. You can laugh. Whatever you got to do to fellowship. Call each other on the phone if it starts there. Enjoy the time together. We've been enjoying our time. And now's the time to talk to other people. Now you can go to restaurants. At least witness to the waitress, waitresses. When you go to stores, ask people how they're doing. New village. This is a beautiful building. You got a beautiful parsonage. Look at the size of the field. You got a bigger field than we do. This is a a wonderful church for the work of the gospel. It's had a rich history. And I believe that the Lord is able to use the people right here. Christians submitted to the Lord in love for him and in unity with one another can do great things for crying out loud at the tower of babel the lord had to do what he had to disperse them because their evil unity they were going to accomplish a lot right you've got what the power of the spirit of god you've got one lord one faith one baptism don't worry about the more minor points Get together and keep rolling. You've got, it's actually a divine responsibility as I do at my own site. I've got a responsibility to um, keep the love, the Word of God, expository preaching going, to keep love going, fellowship going, and witnessing going. So I urge you, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. And the Lord is able to build his church. My church is smaller than yours. But actually, we've had somewhat of an influx of recent. Of recent. I say we're smaller than yours because I know there's more people in your church than are here today. I heard maybe 60 or 70. That's great. That's a viable church in my book. That's a, that's a viable church. You've got, the Lord has given you a viable church to do some great things. Pray. May, what? Well, what you say, what should we do? Maybe pray prayer and fasting. Remember Acts chapter 13? The church at Antioch, they prayed and fasted and the Lord directed them. The Lord is able to direct. It, we just got to be willing to follow what he says, right? Well, let's pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Let me pray for you. It's a pleasure coming here. I love coming here. And I hope I've been a challenge and an encouragement to you at the same time. Let's pray. Lord, since I think 1816, Lord, you have raised up men and women to preach your word from this site and wherever it was before here, that this church, New Village Church, has become a church, Lord, I think where it says Christ is preeminent and the Scriptures are central. And Lord, I pray that that would never stop. I pray that the gospel would go forth from the new village church for years to come. And Lord, none of us knows the deity hour, Lord. I, Lord, I don't, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future, every jot and tittle, but Lord, we do know that Jesus said He would come come again. And Lord, I pray that until Jesus comes again, that from this pulpit and from the people of this church, Your gospel would go forth with power. Lord, strengthen Your people at New Village. Thank You for each and every one. And I pray that You would unify and strengthen the church for the promotion of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.